Hello, it's Toby Haydokes, Who's Round, and a good one, an important one, and I'm afraid one of those ones where everywhere we went was really noisy. The quality does improve, it's a bit loud at the beginning, but bear with it, it's worth it. First of a two-parter. It's quite noisy here, but I think we'll be fine. Uh, I'm here to chat to somebody who I'm going to ask to tell me who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who and other things. Oh, yes. Uh, well, who am I? Uh, yes, good question. Uh, <laughs> Brian Miller and uh, Doctor Who, yes, I... Well, you've been in it... And, well, you've been in it on more than one occasion and you straddle both the new series and the old series. So your first proper credit was um, a story called Snake Dance with uh, Peter Davison, Martin Clunes' first telly, Fiona Cumming directing, and yep. you're playing a sort of actor-laddie type of character. So what do you remember of that? Uh, yeah, I quite enjoyed doing Snake Dance. Um, what do I remember? Well, I remember it was at the time that uh, the fleet was sailing off to... Uh, rescue the Falkland Islands. This was in the old days, you know, when we used to rehearse at North Acton. That doesn't happen anymore. You just turn up on the day and try and pull something out. But in those days, you used to rehearse and uh, you'd have a, a tech run and a producer's run and John Nathan Turner would come and make notes. And then he would take the director off afterwards and they would... Uh, have a little conflap, and then the director would come back and convey JNT's notes, and then we'd uh, then you'd go into the studio and knock off a few scenes, and try to get it in before ten o'clock when the plugs were full. Yeah, I mean it's. I did enjoy doing it. Um, I was just asked to do it. Fiona Cumming had seen me in something, I think, maybe at the orange tree. Uh, and I had a beard. Yeah. A bit, bit longer than yours. A little bit longer than mine. Uh, that, that was a hangover from... I'd been doing The Caretaker in Bristol. And I just let my beard grow, you know. And I thought, oh, well, I'll keep it and see if it comes in handy for something. And... Uh, and when this part came up, this uh, circus fella, uh, I thought, well, yeah, why not? Because I felt I was a bit young for it. When I read it, I thought, oh, this would be a good part for Freddie Jones. Um, and even when I saw it, I thought, oh, I look a bit young for it, really. It should be a much more mature actor, somebody like Freddie Jones who's not afraid to do a bit of acting. Of course, that's... that's that's You can't do that anymore. Nobody's allowed to act anymore. So, anyway. What can I say? I had a go at it. I enjoyed it. I, uh, I, I enjoyed, you know, uh, playing scenes with, with Martin Clunes, whose dad I remembered, Alec Clunes. I'm talking about his appearance in Olivier's film of uh, Richard III, where he got his head chopped off. Um, uh, yeah, I, well, I saw it once um, 
in Coventry at a convention in Coventry some years ago, and they had it up on a very big screen. And I thought, gosh, that looks really good. That looks like something out of the Arabian Nights, you know, Thief and Baghdad. It's interesting because you mentioned um, nobody being allowed to act anymore, and Fiona Cumming is always sort of talked of as an actor's director. Um, and I wonder when, when it was, do you think, and why it was that, that, as you've alluded to, acting sort of changed and television acting sort of changed, where sort of character acting almost seems now to be a thing of the past. I suppose it is. Uh, uh, actors are afraid to do it now, really, unless they are very well established and, and can say, oh, well, take it or leave it. Uh, Well, it's all this minimalist stuff now, and people write to the papers, they write to the Sunday Times, you know, you say, but do you read that in the culture sector? Uh, complaining about not being able to hear what the actors are saying. Um, I find that myself. I watch drama, particularly uh, television drama, and I can't understand what they're saying sometimes, because they take it down so far and they don't articulate. Uh, and actors aren't trained in the same way now. Uh, if you contrast, say, if I, uh, if I mention Liz, when she played Sarah Jane originally, and sort of compare her with... Uh, uh, Jenna... Jenna Coleman, yeah. Jenna Louise. I'm sorry she dropped the Louise, because I think that's the sort of thing they like in America, you know. Mm, yeah. I think she should have stayed Jenna Louise. Yeah. Rather than Jenna Coleman. Uh, it trips off the tongue a bit more, doesn't it? <laughs> well, if you want to put it that way, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're continuing after a lunch break. Yeah. Um, we were talking about, well, I think we touched upon character acting. We were talking about Jenna Coleman now not being Jenna Louise Coleman, which I suppose mm. brings us neatly to um, uh, your Doctor Who in the new series, where you, her you had a scene uh, with Peter Capaldi as the new Doctor. So mm. that was quite a nice piece of the fact that you were there not representing Doctor Who and Elizabeth and also the old Doctor Who and Elizabeth. And I mean, obviously you were cast because you were the right man for the job, but I thought you were also quite symbolic. Um, but I suspect it probably didn't feel like that to you. <laughs> Um, well, I don't know. I mean, I was just asked to do it. And uh, I thought, oh, well, I'll be going to a read-through, but um, I, I heard nothing, so I'd accepted the part. But the way it was put to me by the agent, I thought it was just a, you know, something in passing. Um, and it was when I read the scene, I thought, oh, hang on a minute, there's a bit more to it than that. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I didn't hear anything about. Nobody phoned me up to ask me about makeup or costume or anything like that. The first I heard about it was um, somebody rang me up and said, "What train would you like to get down to Cardiff?" So I said, "Oh well, somewhere around 4:15 in the afternoon." So I went down and. Uh, I got to the hotel and somebody rang me up from the makeup department and said, would it be okay if you don't shave in the morning? 
I said, well, you know, I haven't shaved since Boxing Day. Because I was playing the tramp, a Victorian tramp. I thought, well, a Victorian tramp's not going to be getting up in the morning and having a shave. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll grow the beard. So I did. And then uh, I got a call saying, departing at 6.15 in the morning. <laughs> oh, oh, God, OK, yeah, fine. Um, and that was it, you know. I, As we were discussing earlier, the way you used to go to North Acton and rehearse and get to know somebody and play a scene with someone, rehearse something and find out, you know, somebody else's rhythms and all the rest of it, the, the way you used to. That didn't happen and doesn't happen very much anymore. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the first time I met Peter Capaldi, in fact, the only time I've met Peter Capaldi was when, when he was all, in, when I was all dressed up, uh, and he was as well, in his nightshirt. And my first impression was, gosh, you're not as tall as I thought you were. I thought, seeing him on television, I always thought he was quite tall, but he's not, he's about the same height as I am. Mm. Yes, he's angular, which gives the impression, yes. doesn't yeah, it? Yes, I mean, yes, he is. Anyway, it's very, very nice, you know. He's always got quite a bit on his plate, having to learn lines all the time. And I mean, I, I, I knew what that was like because that was what Liz had to do on Sarah Jane. It's a constant, constant learning lines, learning lines for the next day. And so we went through the scene a couple of times together. So I, because he wasn't you know, quite up on them. But it was okay in the end, you know, once we got uh, got onto the, uh, where they were shooting it. And we did it in bits and pieces, you know. And, uh, I thought it turned out quite well, you know. I mean, uh, here, was, here was this strange man in what appeared to be a damp nightshirt and the old tramp comes across him and thinks, what's he doing on my patch, you know, what, what's he rummaging about for in all that rubbish, you know, that's my rubbish. Uh, <laughs> um, and then this, uh, he feels intimidated then because the doctor rounds on him, doesn't he? And, uh, and uh, Barney says things like, oh, I don't like it, you're, you're what, your face. I don't like it either, you know. <laughs> And you think, oh, who is this? Who's this character? Um, so I thought the scene was actually uh, much more to it than I'd been led to expect, and I couldn't understand why I hadn't had to go up for it or anything like that. You know, because usually you go up for things now, and they, they they make you jump through a few hoops, as you you may know. You know, they you have to do it to a video camera, to a casting assistant, usually. It's always better if you can do it with a director, really, isn't it? So you yeah. have a bit of a chat, you know, have a bit of contact. But um... Well, they obviously knew your work and trusted you enough for you not to have to do that. That's quite nice, isn't it? Uh, possibly, yes, but I did wonder. I thought, well, I wonder if somebody was cast earlier and then had uh, dropped out. Because normally you would be asked to go to a read-through. And I would like to have gone to a read-through, just to get the feel of the thing. Sure. And to meet a few people. The only person I met was Peter, Peter Capaldi. And 
and uh, yes, I mean I'd work with uh, um, some of the production people, I suppose, who'd been involved with Sarah Jane, uh, Brian and Nikki, who were very nice, very nice, and maybe they thought, well, yeah, he he can do it, you know. Yeah, it may have been you didn't go to the read through because it was because um, it's expensive to yeah, well. take an actor to and fro to read in a couple of scenes. Well, I suppose so. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, I I was I thought it turned out okay. I thought the scene turned out all right. Well, because it's the clip. I was on BBC Breakfast the next day oh, as the BBC's resident Tanarak, and they showed that scene. Oh, did they? And, uh, and I, I, I was able to point out uh, that it was Brian Miller who was the husband of Elizabeth Sladen, and so oh, it God. tied in. So, so it all got, it all got mentioned at six a.m. The oh, eagle-eyed viewer. Yes. Oh gosh. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, well, the other, aside from the obvious connection, which we've sort of taken for granted that the viewer, the listener, might know, um, is that obviously you were married to Elizabeth Sladen, but also in between um, Snake Dance and. Deep breath. Mm. You, this um, sort of very nice and quite softly spoken gentleman that I've been spending time talking to, is actually the rasping voice of the Daleks. So, how did it come about that you, uh, you and Royce Mills and Roy Skelton, and uh, were, were, were screeching into a microphone to provide the voice of the deadly Pepperpots? Yeah. Well. Um... <coughs> oh yeah. Matthew Robinson rang me up. Because I'd worked with him a couple of times. On Angels, yeah. Angels, yeah. And also a, a thing called Radio, TV series called Radio, which was hardly shown in the regions at all. But he rang me up and said, uh, you, you, do, uh, you do voices, don't you? I said, oh, do I? He said, can you do Dalek voices? I said, well, I don't know. I suppose I could have a go. So he said, yeah, well, come and do these Dalek voices. So that's how that happened. And that first one was with Royce Mills. Yeah. And I remember we sat behind a flat on the floor uh, with our, you know, our cans and and did it that way, and a monitor. And uh, I think... I think the first one was the first one that was that Janet Fielding's last one. That's right, yeah. Well, we also went to rehearsal for that, so we turned up at White City every day, no, um, North Acton, uh, in the rehearsal room. Um, and, and, uh, and felt, I mean, when you do that, you feel fully integrated into the production. You don't just turn up as you do now. I keep saying that, but I mean, it has changed tremendously. And... And uh, Rodney Buse was in that one. Yep. And uh, Morris uh, Colbert. Del Henny. Oh, Del Henny, of course. Yes, he was in it. Yeah. Oh, I was in something else with him as well. Fallen Hero, yeah. Fallen Hero, great series. Yeah. Very depressing series. I think I only ended up in one episode. I think I got cut out of another episode. Anyway, yes, that's right. I mean, a very good cast, wasn't it? Yeah. And some good location filming. Pirate yeah. Wolf, yeah. Yeah. And uh, although nothing is quite as chilling as that shot in the William Hartnell one with the Dalek coming up out of the water, I thought that's really good. Really good, that. Uh, 
anyway, that's how that came about, because I knew... Uh, and then I don't think I did the next one, did I? No. No, you missed out Revelation of the Daleks, and then you came back for Remembrance, which was... That was with Royce and Roy. Yeah. Well, in that, in that instance, we sat up in a box uh, next to the production box on, in, uh, in the studio at uh, the centre and, uh, and did it from there. And uh, I, I thought uh, Roy Skelton was, a, was really good as a Dalek. He's got this tremendous diaphragm, very powerful voice. And uh, I liked him the best. I thought he was the best of the Daleks. For me, anyway. Um, but it was fun, you know. We enjoyed ourselves. We had a bit of a bit of a laugh, you know, like you do <laughs> when you, you know, when you're supposed to be taking things. I'm not sure you're allowed to do that anymore. Everything's so serious now. You know. Well, take me back, Brian. What was your background, and what what inspired you to become an actor, and how did you go about it? <laughs> Um, yes, well, I would have to blame my mum, I think, for that, because she used to take me to the pictures from a very early age, because she, I suppose, she'd gone fan. And, um, I mean, it would have been during the war, during the, certainly the last year of the war. And I just got mesmerised by watching people do, on, on, a scre- on the screen, you know, watching people acting. Mm, great. I just grew up uh, wanting to do that, but I was also a very shy little boy, very shy. And, it, and uh, how did I come to? Oh yeah, I was in a, a school play, uh, Julius Caesar, and I got cast as Brutus. And they, uh, the school, when they, when they. Uh, came time for me to leave school and you had to go and see the uh, see somebody about what you might like to do when you leave school I said well I want I want to be an actor you know like, this was in the middle I'd like to be an actor yeah I think uh, you know um, I said oh, oh oh really you know oh, well, I don't know about that you know very difficult profession you'll end up in a and they actually said you'll end up eating beans on toast and I thought well I don't mind you know that's fine with me so they arranged for me to have an audition at a drama school in Birmingham I was living just over the border at the time about three quarters of a mile away from where Julie Walters was growing up although I didn't know her up then and um and so I went and auditioned at the drama school and, uh, yeah, got accepted. And uh, when I was at this drama school, got the chance to work at Birmingham Rep. Had the chance to go with them to the Edinburgh Festival in 1959. Uh, company led by people like Ian Richardson was there. Thelma Barlow, who later became famous as Mavis in Coronation Street. She was, she was a really good actress, Thelma Barlow. Uh, I remember seeing her in uh, When We're Married, J.B. Priestley play. She was playing the maid, Ruby Birtle. I mean, I mean that was the funniest thing I've ever seen, I think. Um, and it sort of went from there, you know. And I was very lucky. I left drama school in 1960. Uh, and I got a job straight away, uh, down in Canterbury at the Marlowe Theatre. 
and, uh, and I sort of jogged along, you know, from there. And gradually uh, going from weekly, weekly rep and stage management uh, to weekly rep and not stage management, and then, then up to the Liverpool Playhouse. Uh, which was three weekly, which was luxurious, because <laughs> uh, weekly is. Uh, I mean, it's quite a different tradition. Actors in weekly had to come up with something every week, and you know, if you've done a lot of rep, you tend to work from the outside in. Because nowadays, I like you to be real, whatever yes. that is. And for me, being real isn't muttering to people in an undertone that, well, you can't hear, or you have to, you know, engage your subtitle thing. But anyway, that's that's my my generation coming out, isn't yeah, it? But you were, I mean, but it's interesting because you because the actors that um, you you worked with around that time that I would say I admire are actors um, like. Um, in that Henry the Fourth, you did. You've got Philip Maddock, you've got Brian Blessed, you've got Ian Richardson. I was still at drama school then. Right. So, and uh, yeah, it was Henry the Fourth, Part One and Two. Yeah. And in mainly just you know uh, decorating the stage. Oldies. Yeah. Although I did have a line in Part Two, which went, "Prepare, my lord, the king comes on a pace." Um, and I used to love saying that every night. Although you get very nervous, you think, it's coming up, it's coming up. Anyway, and it was also on a revolve, which made it very, very difficult, because we had to walk when it was revolving up the stairs, and I, it was really quite difficult to do. Like going up an escalator the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, it was very, I mean, it was a, a, a wonderful period for me, anyway. Mm. And of course, working with all those people, Philip Maddock, Philip, I went to a party once with Philip Magic and he took me on the back of his motorbike. It was Liz, Elizabeth Spriggs' flat. And he said, oh, I'll give you a lift. I've never been on the back of a motorbike since. <laughs> uh, but it was, it was really, really exciting in those days. Um, and then, you know, working in rep, which is what I said to my agent not so long ago. I said, I'm just an old rep actor, really. Uh, which is what I enjoyed. I enjoyed being different characters other than me, you know. I, I have to say that highly thought, you, you, I know you will brush this off, but quite often when, obviously I've interviewed a lot of actors for this, and obviously if they work with Elizabeth, talk about her and you, and they'll go, oh yeah, she was married to Brian Miller. He's a good actor. And you seem to have a reputation for certainly, you know, for the stage work that you were doing at that time as being, you know, as being somebody to be reckoned with as a, as a, as a leading and as a character actor. Well, it's, it was what I enjoyed doing. I trying to create characters and... and uh, yeah, I mean, it, I used to get some quite good reviews, but I mean, not just me, but, you know, in the company. When I was at the Library Theatre with Liz, mm. uh, it was a very strong company. You had people like Jimmy Hazeldean and uh, Warren Clark and Mike Percival, who just died recently. Yeah. 
people like that, Paul Webster, who spent a long time with the RSC later on, Sarah Kestelman, Nicky McKenzie, who I saw last year at Ray's funeral, uh, Peter Childs, who died early as well, far too early. Very strong company. And uh, we used to do some really good stuff, you know, it was great. I mean, we used to get well reviewed by The Guardian and Telegraph. Uh, and the local university paper and all sorts of things. I mean, it was really... You felt you were really doing something of interest. Yeah, because looking at it... Because it seems to me that a lot of your early tellings uh, were, were northern-based productions. So was that because you were working in the theatre up north and fitting those in when you could? Yeah, well, we used to get asked by Granada to go down and do bits and pieces, so that's... That's how that sort of happened while we were working at the library. Uh, although um, the first the first thing I did at the centre, television centre, in 1964 was Compact. Ah. Well, I was in about seven episodes, I think, with Fraser Hines. We were playing students. And... Uh, I felt, I, I didn't feel comfortable at the time in front of the television camera because um, having done so much stage work, I had no idea how to do it because it's a different technique. Mm. And um, I really, uh, when I, I watched myself in some of this early stuff, I, I used to think, well, I'm not really speaking as clearly as I ought to be because I'm... I could see that I was nervous and it was affecting uh, affecting you know my audibility as well. Uh, I remember I was in something which Mark Jones saw and he said uh, oh he said I thought you were very good in that. He said I couldn't hear everything you said but it didn't matter because you know I couldn't hear everything James Dean said but it didn't matter because you know there was the feeling there. <laughs> I mean, nowadays I would strive always to be as clear as possible, given the chance, which uh, at the moment uh, uh, I, I'm not, well, I'm not, as I've said, I'm not really doing much these days now. There's not much about either, to be fair. Uh, Mr. James, you mentioned Mark Jones there, who was yep. uh, an actor that was in The Seeds of Doom with Elizabeth. So it's quite yep. a small world, the old acting world, isn't it? You oh, yes, it was. It was very, very small. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I mean, it was... Uh, it's amazing how, 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 how you cross paths with all sorts of people. Because um, Ray Lunnan, who was uh, interviewed for this podcast... Uh, uh, a, few, a couple of years ago was um, he was the best man at your wedding was that right? was, was really... well he wasn't uh, I did ask him ah. uh, but he, he said well he said he declined because he'd, he'd been divorced already he said he didn't so I got somebody else to do it uh, and he did turn up at the wedding but not to the church because he came up in his little mini with, uh, with a young lady he said, "Is it okay if I bring uh, if I bring somebody with me?" I said, yeah, so he turned up uh, at the uh, the reception, which was in Penny Lane in Liverpool, 
then back at Lizzie's house. Uh, so yes, he was there, but he, he, he wasn't the best man, no. I, I first met Ray in 1964 because we used to go to the same labour exchange uh, near Westminster Abbey, Chadwick Street, which was then the Actors' Labour Exchange. Uh, you used to have to go twice a week. One, one morning you'd go in and sign, and a couple of days later you'd go back and they'd give you some money in cash, about £7. And then you'd repair up the hill to Victoria Street and go into the ABC tea shop and have a cup of tea and an ice bun and a, and a gossip. And that's how I first met Ray. Then the following year, we worked together at, uh, at Watford in Rep with, uh, with Kevin Lindsay, in fact. Oh. Old Kevin. Who, you know, Liz used to tell this story about Kevin on the Sontaran experiment. <laughs> You've probably heard it. Um, is, uh, I am a Sontaran. And the director, who's the director of that? It, it was, was Rodney uh, Bennett on the Sontaran ah, experiment. Yeah, it was yeah. Rodney Bennett, yeah. He said, uh, oh, uh, Kevin, I, I, I think it's pronounced uh, Sontaran. And Kevin said, look, mate, I come from the place, I should know. Um, uh, oh, right, all right, Kevin, yes, yes, fine. <laughs> I am a Sontaran. Now, if Kevin hadn't said that, it would, it would probably now be pronounced Sontaran. Mm. Just imagine that. Sliding doors. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I mean, anyway, I remember Liz coming back from that location, which was on uh, uh, Dartmoor, yeah. uh, and uh, telling this story, which he also told at various conventions. <laughs> but, I mean, that was typically Kevin, that he would do that. Um, yeah. He was a nice actor. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we did... Uh, I was in a production of Macbeth, which he, when he played Macbeth, and I had a, one of my parts was uh, young Seawood, who has a fight with Macbeth, and Macbeth has to kill him. Uh, so he's. <laughs> uh, Ray was in that as well. Yes, yeah. Oh, I was dear. born a woman. Yes, 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 and um, Princess Margaret and uh, Lord Snowden turned up one evening to watch this production. And then afterwards, we were all summoned to the stage and they had tables. And uh, we were introduced to this royal pair. And then we all sat down and had this sort of salmon stuff or whatever it was. And I thought, goodness, what's going on here? Um, yeah, I mean, they, they, they were... I'm sure that it was much interesting in those days for actors than it is now. Yeah. Um, you got to be part of a company for starters, which, as you said, yeah. you, know, you don't really get to do, certainly not in television. No, no. Which is more like film now. Although, of course, uh, now as a film, I've established through talking to you, you like, you're a bit of a film buff or you like your movies and you like your actors. So you've got to tell me about two films... Where you worked you work with Michael Winner and you worked with Terry Gilliam. I mean, that, that's isn't that doesn't that straddle the whole <laughs> spectrum of filmmaking? <laughs> well, I suppose so. But I mean, I, I must point out that they were very, very brief and uh, brief appearances. 
In one of them, I didn't even say anything. My agent rang me up, I remember, and said, oh, he's sending me up for this film, which directed by Terry Gilliam. And he said, but he doesn't have any lines. But they talk about him a lot. So I said, well, I don't mind, you know, I'm Terry Gilliam? Yeah, fine, I'm... So I went up to see Terry Gilliam and I had a chat and uh, then I got cast in this part. And they put me on a contract for a week. Although I think I only worked three days. But it was fun, you know, I enjoyed doing it. It was done in Wembley, little studio in Wembley. Um, and we're talking about Brazil, you know, a, 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 yes. a classic now. Yes, yes. Well, I remember saying to Terry Gilliam when I... At the interview, he was talking about um, this film, and I said, oh, is it, is it like Time Bandits? And he said, well, yes, in a way. He said, uh, he said, Robert De Niro's doing the Sean Connery bit. And I thought, what? Robert De Niro? Um, I was just flabbergasted. I, I nearly fell on the floor. I thought, well, great, you know, it'd be lovely to be in something with Robert De Niro. Who was perhaps this was before he uh, he started doing any old stuff. Uh, he was still very you know, premier yeah, yeah. talent of the American cinema. Uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, I enjoyed doing it. Uh, um, although it was, I mean, I remember I spent one one of the days I was. You know, in this thing, uh, and the other one was the other one. Michael Winner, the big sleep. Uh, the big sleep. Yeah. Michael Winner. Yeah. Well, I did have a couple of lines in that, and I was, I was, I was the talking waiter. Where's the talking waiter? You say. Uh, uh, oh yeah. <laughs> I, I, I loved it. I mean, uh, it was just, you know. Although I was there with a quite a lot of other people in this gambling club playing a waiter but I didn't mind that you know there was Robert Mitchum and I thought oh, wow Robert Mitchum and there was Oliver Reed yeah. Oliver Reed Oliver Reed was very quiet you know, you know he knew that Robert Mitchum was uh, <coughs> you know in the pecking order Robert Mitchum was up there Ollie Reed, although he was a hellraiser, was you know he knew his place a bit. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <clears throat> the location was up in uh, near Broadcasting House and um, Chandos Street. Oh, yeah, I know. And Robert Mitchum and Oliver Reed used to stand out on the front steps, and the motorists would be coming up like this, up, and there's a sharp turn like that at the top. And they'd come up there, suddenly there was Robert Mitchum standing on the steps looking down at them. And they would, you know. <laughs> oh, who else was there? Sarah Miles, of course, Sarah Miles. Most of the stuff that I was involved with was ended up, you know, uh, the, the, when I saw the scene, it was all tightened up, you know, in the editing process, which is the normal thing. So a lot of what I done over the two days that I worked on it, um, it disappeared, but I mean, that's what happens in film bill. Yeah. And I couldn't uh, cut down what Brian did in Who's Round, because uh, there's so much more to come that's fascinating stuff. 
we've barely touched on things so there's more to come in part two where he nominates his charity so uh, I'll mention that now um, please give if you can to Macmillan Cancer Support of course Macmillan Cancer Support www.macmillan.org.uk if you could give to Macmillan Cancer Support um, uh, you know, as an acknowledgement that you get this stuff for free and that those involved have given their time for free that would be great uh, more next time. Thanks for listening to this. My thanks to Brian and to his daughter Sadie, who I've never met, uh, but who uh, lined up this interview. So thanks to them and thanks to you for listening. Cheerio. Time Lord! Oh no! Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Things die. It's just what they do. All we know about the Daleks is that they are creatures of war. You are in our power! Every minute of every day, on every world, every galaxy, something dies. If Dr. Keller had never arrived on Arking ever, would this still all be happening? Crying over it is spitting into the wind. Death is natural, yes. Surrender your targets to the Daleks immediately! When an off-world ship crashes into our ocean and they want to salvage something from it, what else could it be but a weapon? There comes a time in the history of all civilizations, worlds great and small, when something, some event, some disease, some war, tips the balance of things when even nature must look at the numbers and nervously catch its breath. And on those occasions, well, it's time to make plans. Why should I trust you? Because I am the master. What? The War Master, coming December 2017. Yes. Are you scared yet? Big Finish. We love stories.